Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We really appreciate it. Here's what we'll be talking about today. ARC and PLC decisions to be made by farmers. Jonathan Coppice from the University of Illinois will be joining us to uh, take a look at both of those options and and look back on the last uh, decisions farmers made on this and whether there's any regrets and changes that they may be looking at this time around as far as what will drive their decisions, what they should be looking at. We'll discuss that. Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture, will join us for a Canadian perspective on USMCA and a timetable, when will it get approved in Canada. Bryce Anderson, DTM meteorologist, will join us to talk about the wet conditions across much of the country. All that coming up on today's show. But first, this is Grain Bin Safety Week. We want to really focus in on the dangers of these grain bins. And we know there we, we see this tragic news all too often about uh, uh, death occurring in a grain bin accident. We want to just... Uh, put out some reminders again about the the dangers here and what you can do to be safe. Joining us now is University of Illinois Extension Specialist Doug Gooker. Doug, thank you for joining us. Um, I guess farmers uh, have heard this over and over, but it, it can happen so quickly and without any warning. Uh, and I think we just have in farm safety in general, grain bins in particular, we just have to keep reminding everyone to be careful, right? I mean, this these are such dangerous situations. They can find themselves in uh, just so quickly. Yes, and, and particularly this year, uh, after last fall, we put up a lot of grain that was low test weight and high moisture, and those are, are two combinations that Either one can lead to a rapid deterioration in the quality of stored grain, but you put both of them together, and it's a situation that requires very careful management and and sometimes uh, pulling grain out of uh, storage much quicker than we had originally intended. I was reading an article that you wrote recently, again, showing just how quickly things can happen in a grain bin. Adults can be trapped in less than five seconds and submerged in 20 seconds or less, small children can quickly be suffocated. Uh, again, it just basically a grain bin, you're stepping into quicksand. Yes, and uh, having been a guinea pig for some of these grain safety demonstrations in the past, uh, and being sucked down to my waist or close to my waist uh, uh, in grain, uh, once it got to my knees, uh, I might as well have had my 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 shoes in uh, cement. I wasn't going anywhere. And so, it, what are some things farmers quick. can do? What are some well, things farmers can do? The first thing they need to do is never go into a grain bin alone. Never go in there alone. And the other uh, issue is is that if they have a crusting problem in that bin or they turn the fans on and they're noticing a musty odor coming out, uh, probably their first question is they're going to have a problem unloading that bin to start with. And so the hope of trying to get crusty grain down through that center hole in the bin may not work at all. And so... Uh, 
we need to give some serious thought before we get in there. We don't want to get into that bin because if it has a crust, it can give way and suddenly we're down waist deep or completely submerged, as has happened recently in an accident, and, and a life is lost. Uh, we need to go in with lifelines. We need to make sure we have ladders in working order on the inside of the bin and never go in a bin without someone being nearby that can quickly get help if things turn sideways. Yeah, if you're the if you're with someone and you know they're trapped in a grain bin, what can you do? What's the first thing you should do to get help? Uh, first thing to do is make sure everything is turned off. Uh, except for the aeration fan, turn the aeration fan on, uh, try and get some fresh air moving through the, through that bin. Uh, so if it is out of quality and moldy grain, uh, that poor person stuck in the grain is not just breathing in moldy air, which could then cause an entirely different problem for that individual. Turn the aeration fans on, get fresh air moving through that grain, and call uh, call their local uh, emergency squad to get out there as soon as possible because they're going to have to cut a hole in that bin and, and relieve that pressure. I've watched some of the uh, work that the rescue uh, personnel and departments uh go through uh they're being trained more and more to deal with these grain bin situations aren't they because they have to they have to have expertise and uh once they get on the scene yes and and they have to be trained so that they themselves don't become Mm -hmm. trapped uh be become victims inside the bin as well which has happened unfortunately uh in the past not happening much anymore with our volunteer fire departments because of the good training that they're getting and in the past uh I know we have done uh training for uh local fire departments and yes they are trained they know where to make those cuts in the bin they just don't do it haphazard because they don't want to unintentionally uh, cause more grain to flow on someone who who's stuck inside that grain. Very important to make sure that uh, entrances to grain handling areas are locked, that, that, you, that children, uh, other bystanders just can't uh, accidentally wind up in those situations. Exactly. We, our, our key thing is, is, uh, before we get into a, a grain bin, take a deep breath, uh, possibly take, take a long pole with you, uh, because if it looks like it, it's, uh, we've got corn going out of condition and you prod it, prod it, and it breaks apart in clumps, um, that's your sign that you, you're going to have a bin full of problems and you need to make another plan on how you're going to deal with it besides getting in there and walking on that crusted grain and thinking you're going to get it to flow smoothly and evenly out through the center sump of that bin. Uh, It just doesn't happen that way. It's going to be a a dirty, ugly process, and uh, we need to realize that if it's gone out of condition, we're going to have to make other plans on how we're going to unload that bin. So be careful, be prepared. I mean, no one thinks it's going to happen, but it can happen and can happen just so quickly. Uh, so don't take anything for right. granted. Be be prepared, right? 
Right. And farmers and, and people need to realize that on a warm February day, even though it's very cold, and we had a warm day this last week where we had full sunshine, temperature was about freezing, but with no wind, it felt like a summer day because you could you didn't need that heavy winter coat on because of the full sunshine. Well, think of the south-facing wall of your your grain storage facility. It's absorbing 1,700 yep. BTUs per square foot per day. It's absorbing a tremendous amount of heat. It's All right, Doug, we're out of time. Good reminders Thank for you. us. Doug Gooker, University of Illinois Extension Specialist, during this Grain Bin Safety Week. There is more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419 GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgrill variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, who was busy last week at the Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. Bryce, how often did you get uh, questions and hear concerns about wet conditions as we head to spring planting time? Well, it was nonstop, Mike. Uh, you know, you've uh, you've been to that show in in Kentucky a lot, and you know that uh, there's going to be a, a real cross section of uh, people who attend, all the way from uh, the the uh, northwestern Corn Belt. I talked to uh, a couple growers from uh, East Central North Dakota, uh, in fact, and then uh, all the way into the south and the southeast. Talked to uh, several growers from Alabama. Uh, so that was the extent of the geographic area, and then points in between. And uh, to a person, uh, the idea of uh, concern over wet ground, possible flooding, worries about uh, how the uh, soil moisture conditions are going to impede uh, planting progress, maybe lead to uh, prevented planting again in some areas. All of that was right at the top, and uh, people... Uh, did not want to uh, just have a quick conversation about it. I mean, when when all that got brought up, uh, the conversation was very detailed, and it lasted for more than a minute, I'll tell you that. And it shows how widespread these uh, very wet, saturated soil conditions are. Uh, I mean, in the news now, of course, the flooding in the south, but we know a lot of areas that... Uh, uh, were flooded last year, are very wet again now, and 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 the the concerns are there about what type of spring we're going to have. Even as we said before, even with normal precipitation, can be a problem. Definitely so. It, it was it was real interesting last week when I was when I was uh, uh, giving my presentation. I, I talked about how uh, the the level of the rivers uh, right now is much higher. Uh, with uh, with all of the moisture that we've had and all that sort of thing. And, and so there has been no ebb and flow in the river levels during the wintertime. Uh, the rivers have not uh, receded 
in uh, in any area that I know of. Uh, so we're starting out with a higher base flow in the river channel than a year ago. And uh, with the fact that there's uh, not very much uh, excess carrying capacity in the river uh, banks because the water level is already high, you bring in uh, snow melt, you bring in rainfall runoff and all that sort of thing, and uh, it's not going to take very much to, to cause runoff. And at the time that I made that, that kind of comment, man, I tell you what, uh, just about everybody in the audience, and we had, we had a nice crowd, uh, just about everybody uh, started nodding their head because uh, we've got a number of growers who have seen the same thing and, and have been very concerned about it. And uh, here in eastern Nebraska, Mike, we have already had flooding begin. There was ice jam flooding just west of Omaha in the Fremont, Nebraska area during the past weekend with the fast-moving rivers and people having to be rescued uh, late at night by emergency uh, staff. Uh, so that's already begun, and uh, it's got it's got that whole uh, prospect, that whole topic, uh, right uh, right at the at the edge of not quite panic, but certainly a very heightened level of nervousness all the, already uh, here in late February, mid mid February, I should say. All right, what do you see in the forecast for the rest of February and as we head to March? Uh, we are not going to have very much of a let-up in terms of the uh, conditions that are shaping up because, uh, for one thing, it's going to be quite cold here for another couple, three days. We'll have some light precip crossing the Midwest and the Northern Plains. The South, the Delta, they're going to get more rain and more flooding concerns. And then uh, a little bit of a let-up as we go through the, uh, the balance of this week. Uh, through the 22nd uh, and 23rd weekend, but then in the latter part of February, the last of the month next week, uh, there's going to be a new round of uh, energy lead to uh, rain and snow across quite a bit of the Midwest into the northern and the central plains. And right now the uh, precip chances are are looking for fairly light amounts, but boy, that could spin up uh, to a heavier total in a big hurry. And um, some updated forecasts for the seasons that have just been released uh, earlier this morning uh, have the entire western Corn Belt, west of the Mississippi, in above normal precipitation categories all the way through early June. And so that just leads to the uh, idea that this spring uh, could be a wet one again uh, with uh, no no real um, prospect of having any sort of a buffer because uh, the ground is wet all over. Yeah, just you don't get enough time now when you're trying to work in planning uh, to, for it to really dry down or those rivers to recede. I mean, you just don't have the the time for all that to take place to make it work out for planning in many cases, and that's the concern going in. It certainly is. Now, uh, there, I, I do not think that we're going to have some of the just uh, real chronic uh, delays that we had last year um, because uh, we don't have this uh, prospect of a bitter-cold polar vortex outbreak, you know, to just set in and, and just uh, keep the hammer down on temperatures like we did a year ago. But uh, there's uh, so much uh, moisture that is out there, so much precipitation that is likely to develop over parts especially of the central and the eastern corn belt, and then uh, even normal amounts uh, lead to this uh, wet problem in the west and the north that uh, you just can't get away from it. And I, I know that uh, that it, it, 
maybe is a tiresome subject, but it, it truly is just the overriding uh, scenario that uh, we're looking at as we go into the rest of this month. Yep, it's going to be a major concern, that's for sure. As you pointed out, maybe not to the extreme of last year, but given the conditions going into this year, uh, even less than extreme will cause problems. Yes, uh, that's that's the uh, exact uh, exact way to lay it out. Uh, the riverbanks are uh, are having additional um, additional moisture uh, brought in, additional water brought in because the uh, because the banks are so wet. They're just kind of seeping in moisture, and so that adds to things all, as well. All right, Bryce. Now you have to go. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Take care. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks. All right, DTN meteorologist. Bryce Anderson. So that's uh, certainly going to be a story to watch as we go into this spring. Uh, we'll talk more about it tomorrow. We're going to have Dennis Toddy with us, uh, the director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, to take a look at uh, these wet conditions around the country and uh, how they stack up historically and uh, just some thoughts uh, from him as we head into uh, spring planning time. Again, I want to just uh, go back to our comments earlier in the program when we were talking with Doug Gooker, uh, University of Illinois Extension Specialist, about grain bin safety week and uh, again just cannot talk about this enough uh, to be careful around those green bins in those green bins because accidents can happen so quickly and as Doug has uh, pointed out no amount of bushels is worth a life and um, this can happen so quickly adults can be trapped in less than five seconds submerged in 20 seconds or less small children can be quickly suffocated in these uh, grain bins and uh, it's just like quicksand in there so uh, many of you have been in those things many times and uh, just want to remind you be be very careful take all the precautions have ladders have that uh, long pole with you and uh, have someone else close by that can uh, uh, help if you need help so please be careful just a note uh, later this week i'll be on the road thursday i'm going to be in monmouth illinois working with our affiliate wram looking forward to hosting uh, some ag panels with them again and then on friday i will be in kansas city for the western farm show I haven't been to that show in a while it's been a few years so looking forward to being back there and seeing folks uh, in that area that's a big show I'll be broadcasting from the booth of our affiliate KKOW from Pittsburgh, Kansas. Looking forward to being with them in their booth at the Western Farm Show. That's coming up this Friday in Kansas City. If you're going to be at that show, hope you'll stop by and see us. Well, coming up a little later in the program, Sean Haney from Real Agriculture. He does a great job uh, working out of Canada uh, as well as covering uh, agriculture both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, but he has the, the perspective from Canada on USMCA. When are they going to get that passed there? What's the timeline? He'll lay that out for us. But coming up next, Jonathan Coppice, clinical assistant professor from the University of Illinois, will join us looking at the ARC PLC questions that uh, many are looking at in making those decisions. What history tells us, uh, what we learned from these decisions last time, what's changed, what the farmers are looking at and need to know in making those decisions. So that's coming up next as we continue here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned.
There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, put Michael Bloomberg's comments about farming aside, about just make a hole, put a seed in it, cover it up, and put add water, and you have corn. Uh, there, We all know in agriculture there's a lot more to it. It's more complicated. There are a lot of uh, things you have to do besides that. There are a lot of tough decisions to be made, a lot of variables, and we won't even get into all that. But one of the tough decisions uh, for many will be ARC or PLC. Let's talk about that with Jonathan Kampas, clinical assistant professor at the University of Illinois. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's not quite as simple as the process Michael Bloomberg once talked about, but uh, what are some of the, take us through this process of making a decision as big as ARC or PLC. Well, maybe I don't have Jonathan after all. I thought he was with us. Try him again. Jonathan, are you there? Okay, so we'll keep trying, see if we can get Jonathan on with us here. We're going to talk about the what farmers are looking at in making these uh, decisions like ARC or PLC and uh, what may have changed from the last time that they made those decisions. So we will uh, hopefully get Jonathan back on with us here in just a moment. In the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, Grain Bin Safety Week. I want to talk a little bit more about that because it is such an important topic and, uh, you know, in farm safety, I've been talking about farm safety for many, many years, and sometimes it just probably goes in one ear or out the other. Or there's a tendency to think, you know, yeah, we know that and we're aware of that. But, you know, these things happen in the blink of eye. Nobody in, goes into a situation intending to have an accident or thinking it's going to happen. So that's why you have to be prepared for the unexpected. And uh, that's why we keep wanting to remind you about it. Just take that extra moment to take the precautions you need to take, whether it's in a, around a grain bin or just handling equipment or around livestock, just be careful. Be safe out there. All right, I think Jonathan Coppice is with us now uh, from the University of Illinois. Jonathan, are you there? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I got you now. Very good. I was saying, despite all the uh, attention around Michael Bloomberg's uh, comments of a few years ago about how simple the process is for farming, it's not always so simple, as we know. And one of the things not so simple is making that ARC or PLC decision. Uh, what are some things that farmers going through that process should keep in mind? Yeah, well, the first thing is they uh, we are encouraging everybody to either get into their FSA office as soon as possible or at least get in contact with FSA and get on the schedule so they they can help manage the workload and the traffic and the timing and, you know, all this sort of logistical challenges of getting the uh, the sign-up completed, uh, which the end date being March 15th to that Monday, the 16th now. So certainly want to encourage people to get in, uh, to, to do their homework in advance and get in there and, and work with FSA. I Other wonder that, for some, sorry. I wonder for some, Jonathan, if they're looking at uh, their last decision and maybe think rethinking things this time. 
Yeah, well, we're, you know, one of the things that last time around, this was a five-year decision, and going into it, Art County for corn and soybeans looked to be the more favorable program. Mm -hmm. This time around, it's a two-year decision. You're signing up for 2019 and 2020, so you get a chance to revisit this for the 2021 crop year. But we are in a far lower price environment than we were, and that obviously favors price loss coverage. Whenever you sort of sit in these these lower price environments, the, that fixed reference price in the in the PLC program is going to look more favorable, and it certainly does for corn. In fact, we our work on this, our our uh, calculations and modeling kind of puts it a is a, a pretty heavy lean uh, towards PLC for for most corn acres. Now there are going to be some some isolated counties and areas where there'll be a yield hit, uh, particularly from uh, what happened last year with with the rough spring that may you know, alter that balance a little bit. So we really encourage farmers to run some yield and price data uh, for their county. But, you know, the the sort of general theory or general thinking at this point is that PLC is going to be a little more favorable over the this year and next year for corn. Yeah, it is amazing how much has changed since the last time as you said it's a little different this time a two-year decision that we knew that five-year decision that was a big decision to make when you're trying to project out five years yeah i mean the uncertainty is as we are now painfully aware of looking back right this is certainly yeah. a great example when hindsight is really 2020 and we can see what those uh what those prices actually were and but yeah, sitting in, in 2014, early 2015, right? The, the the price scenario was a lot different than what we what we ended up getting, and so I think that also is what weighs in on us a little bit uh, in terms of if you're if you're sort of thinking through just the bottom side risk aspect. Um, what we've seen the last few years, uh, you know, really kind of uh, weighs in that prices are not uh, expected to do much on the on the upside, and that. That again, that that fixed 370 for corn, that fixed 840 for uh, soybeans, begins to look a lot uh, a lot better as a backstop. So, what else should they be thinking about when going into the offices and making those decisions? So what else should factor into how they look at this? Well, I mean, I think the other thing that we've heard a lot of questions about is the ARC individual program, and this is the one that uses your actual farm's yields instead of the county average yield to calculate that revenue. But it's far more complicated because it works across all the crops with base acres on the FSA farm, and if you enroll more than one FSA farm in the state, they average those together. And so it can get to be a little bit complicated in the calculations. But what really is driving a lot of questions and interest this time around is is two things. One, the low expectation that either ARC County or PLC make any payments for corn and soybeans. And I should have mentioned, you know, for wheat farmers, if you have wheat base, it's pretty much a lock that PLC at a 550 is going to pay out. So wheat base is a fairly straightforward, easy decision in favor of PLC. But for 2019 and 2020, we don't expect really any payments from ARC County or PLC. But for those farmers where an entire FSA farm was prevent plant, so they had nothing uh, planted and nothing harvested, that means their re- their revenue for that FSA farm would be zero, which could very well lead to the maximum ARC IC payment, uh, depending on, you know, that, again, that maximum is 10% of your five-year Olympic average benchmark, and it's determined by what you planted in 2019. So there is, there's a weird calculation factor in there, but in, in this, in the case of a prevent plant, it is, it is possible that ARC IC 
will maximize payments and thus be the more favorable program, knowing that you're in it for both years. But if we don't expect payments under the other programs, it certainly can weigh in that, that situation. The other case is where, you've, where you planted but had exceptionally low yields in 2019. So those scenarios, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of farmers are not going to be in that, in that case. But, but where you have this sort of isolated or FSA farm or two that had the prevent plan or the really low yields, it's probably worth their time to run some calculations on those individual farms to see if, you know, I can put one FSA farm in ARC IC and put the rest of them in ARC County or PLC. You know, there's a way to, to think that through. Are you getting a lot of questions from farmers looking at these decisions? We are. We are getting quite a few questions. We've done, we just did a webinar yesterday for South Dakota. We've got another webinar scheduled for the 24th once we get the latest yield information from USDA. Um, and so we've gotten a lot of, of questions. We've got the web-based calculator out there and, and the Excel spreadsheet tool that Gary's designed, the sort of what-if analysis that includes ARC uh, individual. And so we know we're getting a lot of usage of those and a lot of questions as farmers really, you know, close in on this decision. Um, but I think also sometimes we can get a little, uh, a little overworked on this decision um, when the realities are for the vast majority of corn and soybean acres, uh, we're not expecting to see much in the way of payments under either ARC or PLC. And so really the decision becomes a pretty straightforward you know that that sort of backstop decision. Well, do I think prices are going to be are going to go lower in the next year? Uh, it doesn't look like it at a 385 estimated price for corn that it's going to trigger anything from either program. So you're really kind of making this as a as a, a, a downside risk decision and, and less as a you know which which program's going to pay more. Uh, with like I said, with the exception of that our individual in a few cases. Yeah, but still, you want to make the right decision. Uh, do you find farmers are many of them are still undecided, or just now looking at this closely, or or what are you hearing? What we what we tend to hear a lot of is, like I said, the the, the squeakiest uh, wheels or discussions have been around Arc IC, so where somebody had mm-hmm. prevent plant or may think they fall into one of those unique situations. Uh, so that tends to be the most questions we hear. Uh, in most of the meetings and general conversations I've had, you hear a lot of farmers just talking about, uh, you know, given what they saw with prices the last few years, that PLC seems like the the safest bet or the smartest sort of, you know, uh, you're putting in that, that hard stop on prices uh, to trigger the payment. So I get a sense that a lot of them that just sort of, you know, use a – a rough estimate or kind of an intuition um, have looked at PLC. Now, there's some potential for soybeans around Art County uh, as well. And so, you know, you kind of, I feel like a lot of them start with, well, it's probably PLC, but let me check this out. Let me check out and see if, if Art County might be mm-hmm. a, a little bit better off for soybeans. Um, but that's kind of the sense I get from it. All right. And where can they get some of your uh, information on this uh, to help them make their decision? Yeah, so uh, on our FarmDoc website at the University of Illinois, if uh, you just type in FarmDoc, and uh, we've got a 2018 Farm Bill uh, toolbox again where we've got all of our resources, everything from the, the web-based calculators to the Excel spreadsheet, what-if analysis tools. Uh, webinars are recorded and linked there, and we've got five-minute FarmDoc short video clips as well as the FarmDoc daily articles that we write around these programs. Very good. Jonathan, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you. 
Jonathan Coppas, Clinical Assistant Professor, University of Illinois, joining us on AOA. Stay with us. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we may tend to think that USMCA is a done deal, but it's not yet done in Canada. That's the the third leg of this that has to be finished, and we're still waiting for that. Let's check in with our good friend Sean Haney from Real Agriculture. Sean, give us uh, the perspective, the lay of the land in Canada. When is this going to get done? I talked with you, uh, talked to you about this when we were in San Antonio for the cattle industry convention. You were saying March. Is that still the time timeline? Yeah, Mike. Great to be with you here this morning. Yeah, that that looks to be the the case, and uh, maybe the best case scenario. I, I guess from Canada's perspective, slow and steady wins the race. I'm not sure if that holds true in trade negotiations, but you, you remember what Canada did was. While, while the U.S. Congress was kind of going back and forth on what their changes were going to be that were, you know, something that could actually get through Congress, uh, Canada decided to not go the way of Mexico and decided to wait until those, those changes were approved. So they just had to ratify once and didn't have to run it through Parliament again. And, of course, we had a fall election as well. So that maybe complicated the matter a little bit of, even more. So th- there's hope that it's going to be through the, through the House in, in February here. We're sort of running out of weeks, though. Uh, and also, it would then have to go to the Senate, which would basically be almost a rubber stamp from a Canadian perspective, which would happen by the end of March, which which gives us a, a nice timeline here by mid-2020 to get this thing implemented. Most of U.S. agriculture breathed a sigh of relief at the signing of USMCA. Uh, and some areas, like dairy... Here in the U.S., hoping for better things in the New Deal. How does Canadian agriculture feel about USMCA? Well, I think relieved. You know, outside of outside of dairy, of course. So, if you look at the exportable commodities, you've got grain and pork and beef as examples. There, there's relief that these three countries were able to come to terms. There was a lot of fear that that President Trump was going to follow through on his threat to withdraw from the NAFTA deal altogether. I think from a Canadian trade negotiator standpoint, uh, Canadians sort of feel fortunate. They, they skated through this rather unscathed for the most part. You know, I think the major changes are, you know, from a lot of trade experts' opinion, they, they sort of just played around the edges, so to speak. The, one of the big changes, though, was the, the dairy market access and and basically Canada has to get rid of its class seven pricing system for skim proteins in, in the dairy industry. Th- those are two big effects, probably even more so the class seven uh, dairy farmers are, are really kind of scratching their heads here, wondering what are they going to do with this cap on exports and, and the inability to move 
skim proteins out of the country like they, like they were previously. Uh, you were in San Antonio, as mentioned. I asked Secretary Purdue at the press conference, is he concerned about Canada not following through? And, and he had said that they're watching Canada very closely to make sure they don't set up, you know, version 2.0 of, of the Class 7 system. So outside of dairy, Canadian farmers very happy this is going to move forward. We're talking with Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture in Canada. And, Sean, let's talk about uh, the state of Canadian agriculture. Here in the U.S., as we continue to deal with a a down ag economy, there is some hope this year, mainly in large part because of the uh, trade deals, that things are going to start turning around. What's the feeling among uh, farmers and producers in Canada? Are they sharing any optimism, or what's the situation there? Well, you know, Mike, I think there is optimism. You know, I've been, like you, been going to a number of different trade shows and conferences uh, across the country. And, and up here, I am sensing some optimism. Now, Canadian farmers have been, there's a little bit of a different situation than the U.S. And it's really kind of twofold. One is can, Canadian farmers have not been supplied with the subsidy payments or, you know, the, the assistance from the government. Like, we, we have not had our own version of the MFP program during some of the trade negotiations. Um, some of the commodity groups very upset about that. Uh, soybean growers in particular feel they should have been compensated because their market was so impacted uh, by those trade negotiations, even though Canada wasn't involved in them. But the other thing that probably has insulated the Canadian farmer somewhat from some of the economic hardship that you've experienced in the U.S. is the fact, the currency exchange. So the majority of our Commodities are, are priced based off the U.S. exchange, the futures price. And, of course, when you've got the Canadian dollar trading at about 75 cents to the American dollar, that provides an opportunity to be a little bit insulated from some of those downward prices. Um, times are tight. We're seeing the same sort of thing up here, though, at the same time. You're seeing in the U.S. where pencils are getting extra sharp. <laughs> the, the pencil sharpeners are getting uh, a lot of use this spring headed into seeding and planting time. People thinking, you know, looking at some of the prices and, uh, and some of their costs and saying, you know, if I cut back on these costs, I, I, I think I can make a profit. Uh, th- some things have to go my way. Weather being the biggest one. Uh, weather did not cooperate in 2019 whatsoever. Uh, people are hoping for a little bit better cooperation from Mother Nature here in the coming season. But I, I agree. There, there's some optimism out there. It's not, it's not bountiful optimism where, you know, it's like, I've never made so much money in my life, but it's, I, I think I can, I can, I can turn a, some black here and I can live to fight another day in 2021. Yeah, you make a good point on the MFP payments that we can only imagine here in the U S where farmers, many of them would be right now if they did not have those MFP payments, they made a big difference. So I just imagine what you're describing in Canada, uh, going through a down ag economy without those uh, payments, without that assistance. Absolutely. You know, if you look at the, the percentage of the income in the U.S. that was based on those MFP payments, boy, it takes us, without those payments, it, it takes us back to like maybe, you know, a disaster like we saw in the 80s without the high interest rates in this case. And and so you have to think, you know, this is my opinion, but I think the stars are aligning on a MFP 3.0 here in, in 2020 in the U.S. Obviously, China's been is and will be very slow to be purchasing those commodities they promised and uh, because of that in the 2020 election year you have to think that the trump administration is going to want to step up and and help out the farmer in the in the current year as well 
Sean, good to talk with you. Safe travels to you. Thanks a lot. Hey, Mike. Always great to chat with you anytime. All right. Take care. Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture in Canada. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for being with us here on AOA. Have a great day, everyone. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.